Welcome to Overcome Podcast, the living legend, John Meadows. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. John, um, so little story. I mean, I've been following for forever, but it was really on December 7th last year that you wrote something that uh, I was like, I need to talk with this guy because uh, in October I had a big injury on my foot, uh, Lynn's Frank injury, and I was... Uh, I had a surgery in October. The, the, the injury was September. The, the surgery in October, and by December, when you wrote this on your Facebook, I was unable to train, unable to do anything. I was extremely depressed, and uh, it was December seventh. Yeah, you actually wrote, "Life is so much about perspective and looking at things and seeing things what really matters." Right. So you you talk about I never qualified for the Olympia. I got on stage at the Arnold and competed with against the best in the world. So. It was such a uh, important post to me to read at that moment that I was uh, down, uh, unable to do what I like to do, and uh, feeling extremely miserable. And knowing your history and you writing this, it was like, wow, that was a really, really cool thing. So thank you for writing that. Uh, it yeah, it had a big impact. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah, positive in a positive manner, and and talking about perspective. Since you 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 said so well about perspective, you is uh, is probably one of the guys that really inspire people for your persistency and 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 overcoming so many obstacles. Uh, and we all know about what happened in two thousand five, and uh, you were basically two years dealing with this. I'm not sure exactly how long you were without completely training, but that's where I would like to start. When you were like post-surgery, um, how was your mindset at that time? Because no one t really talks about this. And when I was down, I read a lot of uh, psychological uh, books of uh, what happened with athletes when they are unable to train. And there's a big... Uh, uh, impact on your overall life when you are not able to do what you like so how was that for you well my answer might surprise you a little bit so in 2005 I was being taken into emergency surgery um, in which I had my entire colon removed but headed into the surgery I thought I was going to die I thought I was going to bleed to death so um, so when I woke up in intensive care I was actually really happy because I was alive. And as I was headed into the emergency surgery, I was pretty sure I was going to die because I was bleeding so much at that point. So my mindset when I woke up was actually, I was super happy. Well, I was like, man, I'm alive. I didn't die. I thought for sure I was going to die. Um, because I was going into, going into shock as they were taking me, but I was still with it enough to know what was going on. Um, so in my initial my initial uh, feeling was was just uh, excuse me was just happiness, just being mm -hmm. elated, and kind of feeling like okay now I have another chance mm -hmm. in life. Yeah. And um, so you're right, there were multiple surgeries, there were complications. Um, when I had my colon removed, uh, I had a temporary il ileostomy. That's where the ileum part of your small intestine is actually taken outside of your body. And you wear a little bag. Um, some people probably hear the term colostomy. It's very similar where part of your colon is sticking out. Um, 
and obviously when you're 30 something years old that you know it's like man i can't believe i'm in this position but it was it was a temporary thing so then what happens is they essentially give your body your in this case your digestive system time to rest so um then they go back in and they re they do what's called a reconnect and so they take your Helium and it connected directly to your rectum. Um, so the what sits in the middle of that, obviously your colon is gone. Um, and that surgery didn't go as 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 well as we'd hoped. Um, there was some scar tissue from the initial surgery. And that was still 2005 or was it already 2006? This was about I want to say 13, 14 weeks after the original okay. surgery in 2005. So at that point, it was probably. I can't say for sure, but I think it probably would have been around October because I competed in the USA in July. I had the surgery in I think I think July, um, so August, September, October. It may have even been toward November, but it was kind of in. It was still in. It was still in the uh, same year. The two thousand five, and um, so then after I had that reconnect surgery done, um, I had uh, blockages of scar tissue that. Um, kept food from passing through my digestive system. So, you know, I get out of that surgery and, you know, I'm eating a little bit and my stomach just keeps swelling up. And I had staples, you know, back then we had, I had 32 staples after my first surgery wow. and the staples started popping out because my stomach was so swollen wow. and it was, it was uh, pretty uncomfortable. So 10 days later they went back in and did another surgery to remove the scar tissue and um, it, like I said, that's a major surgery. And then 10 days later, I'm having another major surgery. So then I got an infection. So um, the infection was probably the hardest part by far because um, I developed infections from who knows who knows what in this during the surgery. But um, I had two infections the size of tennis balls uh, deep in my abdominal wall. And So they, they kind of do like this on the computer screen. You can see them. It's, it looks like a laser-guided laser missile. They take that needle in your stomach. They take it all the way into the uh, infection. And then they pump medicine. Or, or I'm sorry, it drains. So I had a Velcro bag on the side of my leg with tubes coming out of my stomach so that the infection could drain out of my stomach. Now, at that point, too, I was having a hard time eating. So they had to give me a TPN line, which is a line that goes into your arm, and they feed you intravenously. So um, that was the really, really difficult part. It wasn't the end of the story, but that was kind of the hard part of yeah. it. And, you know, after those infections and not being able to eat, I think I lost about 60 pounds. And um, I went from 220-something down to 260-something. Um, and this is hard because you just competed at the U.S., and then you – you go through all this it i know that the happiness of just being alive and be grateful for that but at any point when things were settling and you were finally starting to you know recover did you have ever ask yourself why you know because that's something that happens a lot why me or why this happened did you ever had those moments or you were like just always looking forward to what to do to improve Well, I had that I had that really positive mindset initially, but th then um, when that reconnect didn't go well, and they had to do another surgery, and then when I got the infections, 
it was tough. Like that beat me up mentally. And I, I remember, you know, that why me attitude is, it's very natural yeah. for someone to feel that when they get in that situation. And, um, yeah, I mean, of course I felt that way. Um, and I think what complicated matters was they could never really give me a good answer on what had actually happened. Um, but luckily at some point they did give me an answer. They took, um, uh, tissue. They did a biopsy on the dead tissue that they had taken out of me surgically, and they sent it to the Mayo Clinic. And the Mayo Clinic gave us a diagnosis, and the diagnosis was idiopathic, which means of unknown origin, uh, hyperplasia of the mesenteric vein. So this was a vein that had become diseased in the in the sigmoid part of my colon. And I'm the only bodybuilder um, in history, as far as I know, that's actually had that disease. It's very rare. Wow. It's extremely rare. And, um, so, um, yeah, I mean, there was, um, I was, I was feeling pretty beat up mentally and, it, and, but I couldn't wait to get back to the gym though. Mm-hmm. And when I got back to the gym, I had virtually no strength left. I, I told this story several times. I remember the first day I came back, I had to train legs <laughs> and I got on a leg extension and I had, it was a, it was a, a plate load or not plate loaded. It was selectorized. So I put the pin in with one plate just one plate and my legs were just shaking like this as I was trying to do a leg extension wow. which is one plate. Wow. and I remember curling with this little five seven pound dumbbells and so it was a process but you know I gradually I could see um, I could see the muscle coming back and the strength was coming back slowly and I was in really no hurry I just wanted to see that I was headed the right direction mm-hmm. You know, then my weight went to 170, then 175, then 180, then 185, and it just kept climbing, and I felt better and better. And then it was like, man, I think I'm recovering, you know, pretty well. I think I could probably, you know, get quite a bit of my muscle back. But and I just when, stuck when, with it. When this click was like, what, six months that you were back to train or, or even less than that? Well, so when I had the original surgery, it would have been um, – so what happened was – I came back from the USA, um, which I'm trying to remember when it was back then. I want to say it was at the end of July. I'm pretty sure it was at the end of July. And I'm pretty sure I came back on August 1st, actually. And in August, I was in surgery. So after my initial surgery, the very first surgery, I want to say I didn't train for um, six weeks. And then I went in and I was being real careful. And... So remember I said I had to reconnect yes. at around 13 weeks. Yep. So at that point I had been back in the gym for like seven weeks and just, and actually I was recovering really well. And I didn't really think that reconnect surgery was a big deal. Like I thought, okay, I'm going to get this reconnect. I'm cool now. Everything's going to be fine. And by that point I didn't really have much scarring on my stomach. Like I was pretty good. I was like, okay, I'm just going to be right back to normal. Mm-hmm. And So I had been back in the gym, and I remember I was back up over 200 pounds because I didn't really lose that much from the first surgery and not training for six weeks. Yeah. Um, but then after the the infections and everything, that's when everything got really difficult. But So I had been back in the gym, and then that cascade, the surgery, and the, 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 the next yeah. two, and then the infection, I didn't train through that. So I probably had a period of, uh, let's see, through August, September, October, November, December. It was probably like, It's probably like four months um, of not being able to. So, and then once I started training, it was probably another, 
I would say another four to six months before I had pretty good strength back, you know. Um, so it was a process, you know. It certainly didn't happen overnight, that's for sure. And and you were uh, also increasing your, your food intake over time because you didn't want to force? How, how was the, the progress on that side as well? Well, so I wasn't eating a whole lot. Like, I remember my wife made me a piece of toast, a cup of coffee, and an egg in the morning, and then I would have a lot of yogurt because yogurt was easy to digest. Mm -hmm. um, so I wasn't eating a whole lot. I was just trying to gradually build up. Um, and gradually I did. I remember when I went from one egg to two eggs and, and um, one one piece of toast to two pieces of toast. And uh, So the, I've got like a little food journal here um, where – I tracked it for a little while, just more to see what it was. But mostly it's just an egg here and there and a yogurt here and there. I mean, that was primarily what it was. And at that point, when you start uh, gaining your strength back, did you want to go back to stage and compete again? Or you didn't have that plan so well? You were, you were just going with the flow? Well, initially, it was just trying to get back the strength and just get back to feeling good. But I think once I saw... The muscle coming back I was like oh man maybe I could do this again and I actually had um, so many um, surgeries um, that I had when I one of the things that I did when I came back was I came I started you know I said I worked my way back slowly which I did but I did get a little overzealous a few times because I got incisional hernias so where they had cut right down the middle of my linea alba I got little hernias that had popped up And so then I had another hernia surgery. So I ended up having so many surgeries that the linea alba and the fascia tissue just basically melted. And then I started getting diastasis recti, which is when your abdominal wall starts to pull apart. Yep. And I had to get that sewn together. Um, but before I had that happen, I did diet down to see what I would look like. And I did compete in a show. And I want to say that was probably 2008, somewhere, somewhere no, around there. I, could be I was looking at your track. Your first competition after 2005 was 2007, actually. Okay, then it was 2007, yeah. and I want to say it was at the North American. Yeah, North American that. Championship. You got uh, 16th place, yeah. Yeah, I, got, I looked terrible. So I had that diastasis recti, and it looked like I had a giant um, you know, gap that were stuff like my organs were sticking out. It, it looked really bad. And then when I saw that, what it looked like after I dieted down, I was like, you know, I should at least get surgery to, I just, I don't want to look like that. So at least I'll get a cosmetic surgery. And uh, my doctor here referred me to a doctor that sewed my abs together. And I remember him telling me before the surgery, you may be able to see your abs, maybe not. Depends on where I put the mesh afterwards. And um, so at that point I was like okay well whatever I just you know I want it to look decent I don't want to be embarrassed you know because yeah. I'm still in my 30s and like I mean I, I just don't want to be embarrassed when I take my shirt off and have this giant weird looking alien thing in the middle of my stomach um, so the surgeon did a really nice job and you could still see once I dive down most of my abs there's a bottom row that you can't see um, the kind of it's weird that you can't see it anymore but My abs didn't look like they used to, but at least they were decent. At least they were decent, right? Mm -hmm. And then I got another – well, and when he did that, he, he combined it with a cosmetic surgery. So all the big scars I had, he – He fixed that. He, he didn't get all of them. I mean, I still obviously got a nice couple going down that looked a little crazy, but it was really bad before. So he kind of cleaned some of that up. 
And then they, you know, I had some offers to clean that up, what I had left. And I was like, nah, it's cool. It's, it's good now. It's fine. Um, but then I, I came back and, um, you know, the, the scars in my stomach certainly didn't help. But it wasn't so bad that I thought, well, now I'm never going to have a chance to do well again. Because I started placing, obviously, very well. Yep. And, um, you know, by 2012... I was kind of back full steam, and you know things were going pretty well. And you competed actually in 2010 in North America again, uh, which was probably the first competition after this uh, cosmetic surgery. Yeah, I think that's the one where I just killed myself to get down to light heavyweight class. Um, and I remember I didn't even eat protein; I was just taking essential amino acid tablets. <laughs> and my, my um, it was really hard to get down to 198, and that was the maybe one of the dumbest things I ever did competing ever was that. But then in 2011, I'm pretty sure I went back up to the heavyweights. Um, and then, you know, then and then I had a great year where I grew. Actually, at the end of 2010, it was interesting because I went down to that light heavyweight class. And then in 2011, not only did I get back to the heavyweight class, I actually had one of the best years of gaining muscle I ever had in my career. So not only did I get back to the heavyweight class, I actually gained another 10 pounds of muscle on top of what I had never weighed before. But do you think that this was because in 2010 you lean up so much to get to the lights that actually improved your weight gain, your the quality of your muscle? No. 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 <laughs> no. It, it was just it was just the, that's when I really learned about how to really nail recovery. Mm -hmm and how to be able to train real hard and no matter how hard I trained I could recover from it that's that's that period of time where I really learned that so um but you know and then by 2012 everything was going really well and that's when I got uh second at the uh, Masters Nationals and there was there were a lot of guys in that class I don't remember how many there were but there were a ton and um and then from then on it was you know okay now I'm back in business now I you know I'm, my abdominal wall may not look perfect but at least I can be competitive now right right and just to be clear, during that uh, this all this part, you were doing your own diet and you were doing your own prep. You had no coach, right? You were doing everything on your own. Um, in 2011, I think I got I did North American. I want to say I got like maybe eighth, maybe something like that. I'm, I was in a second call out. Um, that was not the Shelby's, ninth place. Ninth place, yeah. okay. Um, Shelby Starnes helped me that year. Um, and then the other years I just did on my own. Okay, but when you did the one that you dropped to light heavy in 2010, you did on your own, right? Yes, that was my own stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, uh, and uh, it's, it's amazing that uh, you went through this life and death situation to become competitive again. And um, you are a, a guy that are always looking to that continuous improvement and when you wrote about the perspective it looks like you've been applying this concept this principle of looking to perspective for a long time right because as you said when you woke up in the hospital you're just happy to be alive so there was a perspective right there so this is something that seems like you've been applying throughout long time of your life right yeah, I mean, think about the road I've had. I, I mean, I wasn't the guy that started winning right away. I had to reflect after every time I would lose and say, okay, how do I, how can I get better? And, um, you know, that, that pretty much applies to many parts of my life. And, uh, you know, if, when I look at, when I look at, you know, the sports I was in, it was, man, how can I get better? How can I be better at football? And, 
you know, even now as a coach, like I study a ton. I'm a football coach now, and I study it a ton. Like, man, I'm, I don't know enough. I got to get better at this. And, um, you know, how can I help kids develop better? And honestly, um, this week you post a picture of you young that you were very skinny. I would never imagine you were that way. So you actually build up a lot uh, from that picture to nowadays. Uh, I actually thought that you were like those uh, freaking gifted kids that were already big since young. But it was not the case. No, man, I was um, pretty skinny and couldn't put on weight. Um, I'm sure a lot of kids have the same thing. You know, you're young, your metabolism's gone. But but you got to realize, too, I was already training really hard then. You know, at 12 years old, I was training. Yeah. And, um, you know, my kids are 12 now. And I think back, like, how obsessed I was with training at 12, and that's how old my kids are now. They're certainly not obsessed with training. <laughs> so, um but it is interesting to think about it. So I may have been little, but I was already working really hard and um, just trying to trying to improve and get better even at that age. Yeah. And then it comes to 2015. You got uh, the pro card, which you, uh, the entire industry agree it was way overdue. Uh, it was about time uh, to get that pro card in 2015. So... I already uh, uh, heard you saying that was pretty emotional uh, that day um, after so many years. But how it took you a, a little while to digest the whole thing? Because I cannot imagine after this long road of surgery, life and death situation, come back, more surgery, you know, finish that moment uh, and, and accomplish that. Quite amazing feeling. Yeah, I can't really put into words how good it felt. Um, you know, in 2012, 13, and 14, I had second places. And the year before, there was some controversy because I was in a class with another guy. We were in multiple classes classes together, and he won his pro card. And then he – normally the tradition is you step out of the other class so somebody else can get a pro card, and he didn't – He uh, So that was kind of frustrating, but, but it all worked out though, because when I did turn pro, I was immediately competitive in the pro ranks. So in many ways it was a blessing because if maybe if I turned pro in 2012, maybe I wouldn't as, maybe I wouldn't have been as ready to be a pro, but I was still improving in 2012, 13, 14, I was still getting better. And, um, so it all worked out. I think the timing was good. I think the timing was right. Um, But how did you keep yourself so grounded, John? Because you have, like, it's almost like talking with a Buddha, you know, so calm uh, despite everything that is happening. Because I'm pretty sure that during that time, the, the controversy and, and everything, and you were working hard to get this pro card, you never really got involved, you know, in, in, in discussing uh, referees' decisions and things like that. You were always calm and doing what is under your control, you know. It's, uh, that's very... Uh, Very amazing to be able to handle those situations. It shows a lot about your personality. But what what is the 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 tip that you could give uh, for people that are that sometimes they they overthink scenarios and they start to questioning uh, is this really for me? Because after losing so much, some people will say, "Well, is this maybe not for me? I'm going to quit." Right? And, but you never had that quit mindset. No, I certainly didn't have it. I had a goal in mind from when I was 13 years old that I was going to accomplish, and um, I didn't. I didn't let off, even when it looked very bleak and like like it would never happen. You know, it's just there's so many factors that go into that. 
you know, so there's several of them. Let me just give you a couple of them, like your friends, for example. What are the people that you surround yourself with? How are they? Are they supporting you? Are they telling you to keep pushing? Like in my case, I had good friends and a wife that said, you know, keep pushing, keep getting better. Or are they friends that are like, oh, you know, you to heck with this, you know, do something else. This is stupid. You know? So what kind of people are you surrounding yourself with? What kind of um, what kind of mindset do you have? Like if you get knocked down, are you just like, okay, well, I gave it a shot. Now I'm going to go do something else. Like do you have it in, within you to keep going? Um, because, you know, we all hit. Every single person uh, has problems. We all have issues. Yeah. We all have challenges. So how do you react to them? And for me, like I was never one to back down from a fight. So, you know, yeah, it's hard. It's not – it doesn't seem like it's going to happen, but I'm going to keep fighting, you know? So, and then there's another part too, where you've also got to be honest with yourself because I kept telling myself, if your body starts going backwards and you don't think a pro card is possible, you need to just walk away and be uh, realistic with yourself and not delusional. Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes people just think, well, I'll just keep working hard and it'll happen. And I do encourage that, obviously. Think about everything I've said. But there's also a level of realism you have to have. Like, I could go out and I could practice football as much as I want. And I could say, I'm going to be a pro football player. But the reality is, it's not going to happen. I don't have the speed. I don't have the genetics. I just, I don't have the athletic ability. So in that case, I need to be realistic with myself and not delusional. Right. And I think when someone has has migrated into that delusional territory, it's like, Okay, now you're throwing your life away. Now you got to – if your goal is to just compete, okay, knock yourself out. But, you know, if your goal is to be a pro but you just don't have the body type, it's just not going to happen, maybe you want to consider just training for fun and actually enjoying it uh -huh. um, instead of beating yourself up mentally. So there's this balance. There's this how much are you willing to overcome, you know, what kind of environment are you in, who are you surrounding yourself with. Um, are you being realistic? Are you being delusional in your goals? Like, I think you got to kind of consider all those things what? as you uh, yeah. as you you know put together your overall mindset. And when we, uh, I mean, because you also coach a lot of athletes, uh, amateur and pro. When you are coaching someone and you do the assessment for that person, and you've been working probably with what one year, two years with that person, and and you do not see the results that you were expecting. Do you also do an assessment with that person? Say, look, I think that maybe you should change for class physique rather than body view. Do you also help to, that person to wake up and say, look, it's just not there, right? It's better for you to maybe switch class. Yeah, that's just being realistic in some cases. Just being honest. A good coach is honest. And sometimes the honest assessment is they probably should be competing in a different class. So absolutely, that's just part of coaching. Yep. Yeah. That, that's very important because and, and probably now there are way more options for someone to find their niche according to their physique because we have classic we have so many more options now uh, which is good I think now uh, come uh, fast forward you had this uh, that everyone followed uh, you through that moment of the of the the heart attack uh, and uh, I personally was uh, 
uh, getting the updates from your wife that was updating your page and everything. Everyone was really rooting for you. How was that? Um, knowing that you already have all this history is a completely different problem. But again, how did you immediately react? It was, uh, it was like, oh, here we go again. Or it was more like you were so more mature now that you behave better than you behaved the first time. <laughs> if anything, I was probably worse. <laughs> oh, um, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know how you talked about that? Why me? Like, you know, that was part of it because I worked so hard to maintain good health and good blood work and I take all the right tests and I do all that stuff and everything looks great and then boom, blood clot, right? So I got this blood clot that uh, <clears throat> went to the worst place it could possibly go in my heart and um, it was very scary and uh, I thought, you know, when I was in the ambulance, I thought, man, this is touch and go, I could die. Um, Again. <laughs> I could see the lo- I could see the look on the, um, the paramedic's face, like when he was watching the EKG and, you know, they had me take, I think it was five baby aspirin and um, oh, what's the other little pill, the nitroglycerin, like they had me do that immediately as soon as they put me in the ambulance. So I could tell what was going on was very serious. Um, so yeah, there was a little bit of that. There was a little bit of that. Why me? I think the overriding emotion I had was just sadness because I was afraid I was going to die and I wouldn't be here for my kids. Um, I think that was probably the overriding emotion. I just felt really sad. Like, man, man, I can't believe this. Like, I really wanted to be around for my kids, but I wasn't, I wasn't sure. Um, but, um, it's worked out and, um, you know, I've been able to, um, train again and I have actually feel totally normal to be honest with you. I don't have any symptoms of any kind. And you have, you also don't have any restriction, do you? I have no restrictions. I do whatever. Um, and I feel fine. And actually I feel really good. Um, That's because so, this will be my, my, my follow-up questions is, did you tra- uh, change your train uh, routine? Like, for example, let's say uh, from the load perspective, do you still train heavy or did you change a little bit your approach uh, because of that? Well, when all of that happened, when I eventually got back into the gym, um, the way that I, uh, I'm sorry, the way that I train, so, you know, you got this thing called the Valsalva maneuver where you kind of hold your breath and you power through, like, say, a big squat or whatever. So that creates a lot of pressure in your heart. So I made sure the weights were so light that I could breathe normally through all my exercises. I tried to not really stress my heart. I tried to um, increase my cardio um, for health, for heart reasons. And um, so my training switched a little bit more toward weights, not so heavy, but more cardio. And I've continued to keep the cardio part uh, in my workout routine, again, just for heart health and just general overall health. But I don't really hold back too much in the gym. Now, I can't quite do the stuff I used to do anyway, just because I'm older and I just, I'm just not as, I, I just don't recover as well as when I was, say, 30 years old now. So it's not like I'm going, for me, totally crazy. Now, I have come people come in and train with me and they think, man, he's going really hard. But it's like, you should have trained with me when I was in my 30s. <laughs> like, that was hard. This isn't hard what I'm doing now. So it might look like I'm going crazy from the outside, but if you knew what I'm capable of doing and what I've done in the past, you'd say, okay, he's actually eased it up a little bit. 
Um, which is fine because my goals now are maintenance. You know, I'm not trying to gain weight. I don't want to actually get any extra strain on my heart. So my goals now are maintenance. I still love to have fun in the gym. I still work hard, but I'm not like shoving food down. You know, I eat whatever. I eat probably three meals a day. I eat maybe 80 to 100 grams of protein a day. So my perspective now is much more not eating as much, um, still training hard, but my goal isn't to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Like those, those days are over. But you are not also trying to get smaller, right? You reduce a little bit. I'm, I mean, I'm just training. I don't really even think about it. I, I just train and I eat. And um, like I said, I eat, you know, maybe three meals a day. Um, maybe a bowl of cereal. Like like I just had a bowl of cereal before I got on this podcast. Just a snack here and there. But, um, you know, I probably weigh like 213. Um, so I'm significantly smaller. Um, I feel really good. Um, so I'm not even sure what I would do if I were going to lose weight. I already don't eat much. I guess I would just stop training to lose muscle. But, um you know, I don't have an, I know it sounds kind of weird. I don't feel like I have an overwhelming amount of muscle as it is. When I do my cardio, it is really hard for me to even get my heart rate up to 110. Like it's really hard. I've got to push really hard just to get out of the hundreds. And, you know, but what type of cardio like, oh. do you do? Steady cardio or you do more like a hit type of cardio? Well, I mean, I do all kinds of different stuff. I mean, sometimes I get on the spin bike and I do hit cardio, which that does get my heart rate up. But if I'm doing steady state cardio, it's it's pretty much impossible to get my heart rate up into 140, 150 um, just by walking, unless I'm walking up a really steep incline. Um, and what I do is honestly, I just walk my dog for 45 minutes, and we we go to good pace. Uh, we go to really good pace, but and then sometimes, um, you know, one of the things I really like doing is I like doing sprints with a sled. You know, like little 40 mm -hmm. yard sprints with a sled. Unfortunately, I banged my Achilles tendon up, so I've been doing many of those lately. Um, but um, I mean, I like to do a mix, but you know, for heart for heart reasons, you know, the steady state is just fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And you know, my doctor, Doctor Serrano, said he's more concerned with just me spending time doing the cardio than getting wrapped up in. Well, you need to be a 130 or 120. He's you know, like don't worry about that. Just do the cardio. Just get in the steady state work, and and you'll be fine. And so far, he's been right. The, Ejection fraction, my heart is going up. Um, you know, my blood work is still perfect. Everything's good. So, I think we're, I think we're on the right track. As far as, and, far um, as a, a blood thinner, do you do you have to continue to take the the baby aspirin, or you you don't need that anymore? No, no. In fact, I probably will take that the rest of my life. So the the thing in 2005 was there was some clotting um, and that, that disease that happened and the vein exploded that I told you about. Yeah. So there was a, you could infer there was clotting there. And then and the heart attack was 100% driven by blood clot. So um, I probably would never had that heart attack if I'd have been on a blood thinner. And, but you know, the doctor has me on one now and I take it. Um, plus I take a baby aspirin at night before I go to bed. So um, I'll probably be taking that for a long time. Like the baby aspirin, probably the rest of my life. And then the blood thinner, we'll see. But if it's keeping me safe and, and reducing the risk of blood clot, then I'm fine. I don't care. I'll take it. But before that, uh, you were taking just the, the, the regular uh, uh, fish oil probably, which is good for your blood and everything. Do you continue taking those things or you drop and now you're more on this uh, that the, the doctor prescribed? No, I still take fish oil um, as well. I mean, I don't I don't boatload it. I just take two grams a day, but I take a high EPA and DHA fish oil. And um, 
like I said, the baby aspirant night. Okay. Yeah, and to me, what was really interesting and, and shocking is that this happened last year during COVID when, you know, you're not training for competition. You were actually, you just released that very cool uh, series of videos to train with bands. Uh, you were putting bands on, on trees and doing exercise out on the street. It was awesome because I have that Elite FTS uh, Mountain Dog Bands pack. It's extremely useful, and uh, as you even said uh, in one of those videos, said people ask me if I can build muscle with bands, and you said I hope so because I do a lot, right? And uh, yeah, I, I think it's super useful uh, to use those bands. Uh, so when uh, that that information came that you had the heart attack, like wow, that's so out of place, right? You you're not doing anything wrong. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't doing anything hard at all. It was when we were in lockdown; all the gyms were closed. I was in a little garage just doing a little tiny workout and um, when it all happened, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's crazy. Um, now let me switch uh, something since we were talking about the bands. Um, with the bands uh, workouts, do you try to prioritize the load or the repetition? Because I've seen some uh, videos where you talk about time under tension. And uh, I, I feel com uh, a completely different feeling when I use bands versus uh, uh, weights. It feels like the bands is, is putting more tension over time. What is, what is your take on that, uh, if, I, if I want to include bands on the workout? Band work is all about tension. So, you know, as you do an exercise with a band, you'll notice as you get to the full contraction of the muscle, it gets harder and harder and harder because the band you're working against it. So you just have to set it up in a way that creates the most tension that you can. Like let's say you have a band wrapped around a tree mm -hmm. or whatever and you're doing a row with it. So if you're standing real close and it's not real hard, then you're not gonna get anything out of it, but if you take a couple steps back, then it becomes really hard when you contract, like, okay, now I feel the tension. So it's just a matter of setting up the band so that you feel a lot of tension throughout 8, 10, 15 reps. I mean, that's really the key. But do you, when you do, using this example that you gave, doing the roll, win a tree, do you actually squeeze and hold like for three seconds and then come back? Or you do more like, like you're doing with, with, uh, with a dumbbell, for example? You can do either way. I mean, the nice thing about a band is you can kind of lock it into place against that tension and feel a really hard peak contraction. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like if you're doing a dumbbell row and you hold a dumbbell up, you know, you'll feel it some, but you'll start to feel it in your arms, yep. your biceps, your shoulders. Whereas if you kind of get the band locked in there, you can just lock it in and hold it and just feel that tension right where you need it to be. Yeah. Do you still uh, uh, incorporating bands now on your workouts? Yeah, some of the stuff I do, some of the exercises I think are still really, really good. Um, you know, like a banded, uh, like a, you know, a fly kind of like pulling across your chest, I think is great. I, yeah, there's there's several exercises that I still really like to do, even even with access to the gym. Are you, the, the, the gyms in your area already, everything is open? Yes, where I'm at, it is, yes. Okay, because here in Texas, uh, we kind of just closed for like three months and then we open everything again last year. Um, uh, John, um, just to, to wrap up here, uh, um, what would be your advice uh, for someone, as you said, 
in the beginning that war, that is on this constant trying and uh, getting beat up and and trying to find the motivation to continue to move forward when the results are not there. You already touched on the on the on the fact that you have to do a self assessment and be uh, you know transparent with yourself and and see your own limitations, right? But let's say that that's not the case. Let's say there is something there. Mentally speaking, psychologically speaking, what really is that you should do to, to just keep looking to that progress and moving forward? Because honestly, it's, it's really hard sometimes, right? Even if you see that you have the potential, but getting beat all the time, sometimes it's not, it's not fun. Uh, and uh, you just, you just uh, sometimes it's hard to continue, right? What, what would you recommend uh, overall? Well, I mean, if you think you've done everything that you know how to do, like if you think you've kind of exhausted, like I did everything the best that I knew how, you know, you may want to consider finding a mentor or somebody to coach you that's um, that understands there's different levels to this and they can help get you to the next level. Um, if, if you don't feel like you really know what you're doing, that's also another reason to get a mentor. But in that case... Well, in either case, I would still encourage people to really uh, not get that uh, mindset where you know everything, I know everything, and try to keep it, try to keep learning. Um, I still try to learn as much as I can. I'm always reading. I'm always trying to pick things up. I'm always experimenting because sometimes it no one really has the answer, and you just got to kind of stumble on it. Um, but the only way that's going to happen is by experimenting and trying different things. So you have to have this kind of open mindset where you experiment. You've got to be, be open. And, and I would advise you to always surround yourself with people that are more knowledgeable than you are, mentors that can really help you. Um, and then the effort and consistency has to be there. So that, that's, that's the non-negotiable. Now, whether you have a, a coach or not, you know that's probably negotiable. But the effort and consistency, that's a non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. If you... Train hard a month, don't train hard for a month. Train hard for a month, don't train hard for a month. Then you might as well just change your expectations because you're just not going to get anywhere with that consistency. Yeah. And if you don't like, and then some people are like, well, I just don't like going to the gym and I don't like doing this all this time. Well, then you're probably looking at this the wrong way. Then just go and have fun when you want to. Don't look at it as, don't try to, don't try to force yourself to be a competitor. If you don't like being at the gym, you don't like dieting, then you're probably in the wrong sport. So... <laughs> I'd find something else to do rather than trying to pound us. You know, what's the old saying? Pound a, a round something into a square peg or whatever that is. You know what it is. Yeah, I, um, I can't remember, but I know what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, so, you know, that's got to be, but now again, that's part of that realistic conversation, not being delusional. Right, right. Right? You just got to be realistic. Am I really, do I really have the mindset to do this when I don't even like working out that much? Yeah. Like, but if you do like training hard, keep your mind open. If you do like pushing yourself, find mentors and then be consistent, I think is this probably the biggest keys to anything. Um, although it might seem like common sense, it doesn't matter whether it is or it isn't. It's still probably the most important thing. Yeah. Now, you put a lot of content, free content out there, and everyone appreciates that. Thank you for doing that. But there is also some options to hire or buy some of your service on, on the website, right? So do you have any, any news on that, uh, that you are updating the content? Or what options do you have today? 
I know that not talking about one-on-one coach, but you, you do have some options uh, if uh, someone goes to your website and wants to buy a, a program or something, right? Yeah, I have training programs on there. I, I kind of lost count how many. I think there's probably 20-some programs on there. I know I've wrote over 30, but I think I have, I think I have maybe a little over 20 on the website. And um, I have an app um, for um, Apple and for Samsung that you can – ask me questions uh, as well, any you know issues or questions that you have. I have that option as, as well. And then I have um, some people that work for me. Um, I'm, I'm uh, well past my capacity in coaching. Like I'm trying not to take anybody the rest of the year, but um, I do have some good people that work for me that are great coaches too if someone needs help with coaching. And um, – I think that's about it, you know, and then you got obviously watch my YouTube. I've got over a thousand videos up on my YouTube. In fact, I'm getting ready to film a couple of them right now um, on blood work, which you'll see out next week. Oh, nice. So, yeah, nice. Um, but um, I think that's it. All right, John. Thank you very much. Uh, appreciate uh, your time. Thanks for taking the time to, to record this and thanks for everything you do because you, you educate the entire industry on, on best practice, on, on the right things to do. And not only from the uh, uh, physical standpoint, but uh, but if if people are really following you, they know that there is way more than just physical. There is the the, the mental aspect, uh, the the positive aspect that you bring to to the industry. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, and um, it's a pleasure. And we'll see you next time. All right, my friend. Take care.